Tech is a bi-weekly podcast exploring the intersections of technology and ministry. It is part of the podcast network sponsored by Wells, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Our show today is hosted by Martin Spriggs and Sally Draper. Welcome back to Wells Tech, everybody. This is episode 717. We're recording this on Thursday, January 25th, 2024. My name is Martin Spriggs. This is a show about technology and ministry and where those two intersect. And joining me as usual from North Mankato, Minnesota, the llama lady, Sally Draper. She's got the pin on and everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Mama, for the podcast. That's important. Um, happy day, everyone. I'm so glad you said the date, Martin, because that reminded me that we talk about technology and ministry and where those two intersect, and also about my sister's 70th birthday, which is today. Oh, wow. How can I have a sister turning 70? Oh, my word. Kidding. Happy birthday, Janet. There Very you go. nice. And we have some other friends with us today, don't we, Sally? We do, lucky us. Um, we very regularly have um, education discussions on Wells Tech, and Martin and I are the first to admit that we need assistance in that area, mm, and that's where Jason and Rachel come in. So welcome to the podcast, Rachel Feld, uh, who is at Martin Luther College. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sally. Hi, Martin. Hi, Jason. How are you guys doing? Good, Happy good. to have you. And then also we welcome Jason Schmidt, who is at OASD. What does that mean, Jason? Oshkosh Area School District. <laughs> awesome. Welcome from Oshkosh, Jason. Excited to be here, as always. Love This yep. is the highlight of my month when I get to do these. So Awesome. And ours as well. Enjoy the, the happy banter that goes on here when we talk about education technology with you guys. So, so much appreciate it. Uh, we're going to continue to do that, and we've picked a book for this season, um, the AI classroom. And we've been kind of working our way through a couple chapters at a time. And I'm really excited about uh, the one that's coming up for our discussion today. Uh, just a, a new word I learned in the process as we're kind of uh, exploring this new concept. I guess it could be still called new, relatively new. Certainly uh, new things coming out all the time in the world of artificial intelligence. That word is prompt craft. And some would say prompts are kind of the core, the, the be all end all of dealing with your AI assistance. True or false? Yeah, Most? I would 100% agree. I would 100% agree with that, Martin. Um, this is kind of like we're we're really getting into like the the meat and potatoes now of like how do you unlock the power of these tools, right? Um, you know, I kind of I compare it to like those early days of search, right? You know, you'd go to Google and you'd be like, okay, you know, I'm gonna search for this thing, and you get 80 bajillion results, yep. and sometimes things are good, and sometimes things are not. Um, and we're kind of at that phase with AI right now. Uh, the the quality of the prompts is going to affect the quality of your output. Yeah, the author defines prompt craft as a noun, the skill of being able to ask. So it's really the uh, 
oh, garbage in, garbage out, you know, like, like you were saying, Jason. And I think yep. we and our students uh, learn over time that uh, the quality of the question, the quality of the conversation is really dependent on your ability to, to craft it. And uh, that's kind of what we're talking about. Because really, those of you that don't know what AI is, or it's kind of most uh, mainstream manifestation, if I could call it that, is a basically a blank box that you type stuff into, that you have this conversation. And they make that point here in this chapter, or these couple chapters, is that it's not just one question and done. It is a, uh, a, a, a an ongoing conversation to kind of... Uh, tease out the information that you're looking for. Um, and that's that's a skill that needs to be learned, taught and learned, right? Most definitely. I you know when you when you make a new friend, you have to learn how to communicate with them. That's and uh, if you don't if you don't speak the same language or even if it's a, a different dialect or uh, even if you you know, are from different areas of the country. I, so when my brother was little, he went over to a new friend's house and they have, we lived in Colorado. My brother was born in Colorado and they happened to be from Wisconsin and the mom made lunch. And when my brother came home, um, my mom asked how it was. He said, well, it was great. She made girled cheese. And even though I'm not a girl, I still ate it. Um, but because she was from from Wisconsin, that is how my brother interpreted grilled cheese. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that's kind of similar to what we've got going on here is that if you don't quite understand what uh, the AI is expecting and you don't understand what it's going to give you back, it's not going to work well for you. Um, but if you follow, um, thankfully, this book's got some really simple acronyms that really explain what the AI is looking for, um, that'll it makes it so much easier to get exactly what you're looking for much more quickly. And I happen to have a handy dandy uh, link that I'll share in the show notes. I'll show it on the screen right now. That'll kind of start that conversation about those acronyms you referenced, Rachel. So um, prep is the first one where you prompt, give it a role, explicit and parameters. We can talk through those. And then once it gives you answers, you need to edit, E-D-I-T, evaluate, determine, identify, and transform the output. So you, and it's not just once and done, just like you said, reprep and edit until the, the, the final product is what you're looking for. So prep, maybe we start there, how to, how to ask the machine questions. Absolutely. So with the prep acronym, we're first going to prompt it to do something, uh, which means we're going to basically ask it a question or, or explain what it is we might want the AI to do um, for us. So some examples might be we want to create an academic quiz about the main ideas in Charlotte's Web. Um, maybe we want to create an outline for a series of podcasts about artificial intelligence. Uh, which if we had thought about which doing we would that, have thought like, about that. Yeah, Rachel, now, now you ago, tell us. <laughs> might have been smart, but here we are. Um, or an, an entertaining one that I played around with a couple months ago was make a list of everything that could go wrong when taking first graders on a field trip to a zoo. <laughs> I like it. That one was really fun. Um, 
So that's so the, after, the P in prep, right? That's the prompt. That's the yeah. initial, let's get things started kind of thing, right? And I think the that's maybe where a lot of people stop. They just give it that. And then are a little frustrated or confused why they're not getting back really what they were hoping for. Um, but the a- talking to an AI is like talking to someone who's very, very literal. And thankfully, my father is very, very literal. So I uh, talking to an AI is sometimes a little bit like talking to my dad. Um, love you, dad. And <laughs> so if you just stop at the prompt, uh, now my dad will take it in ridiculous directions because he can. The AI will take it sometimes in ridiculous directions because that's what the algorithm tells it to. Um, so you need to have the next three parts of this acronym in order to really get what you're looking for. Um, so the next part of for prep, we get an R and that is the role. And so you kind of have to tell the AI what hat you want it to wear. Do you want the AI to be a teacher? Do you want it to be a student? Do you want it to be um, an expert in the f- field of some sort of weird child science. safety at a zoo. Exactly. <laughs> um, do you want it to be a second grade student who struggles with uh, math concepts? Mm-hmm. There are lots of different uh, roles that you can give that particular, um, you can give the AI, even um, telling it, hey, you're Dr. Seuss or you're Abraham Lincoln. That's how I want you to answer this question. Um And so that gives, then you're taking what the AI is going to tell you and kind of narrowing it down further and helping the AI to understand what you're looking for. Want to go to E? Yeah. So after that is explicit. And again, my father has helped me very much in this one. um, And so did my grandpa. Um, my grandpa, who was a teacher, was kind of famous for um, making his students write instructions for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And if you didn't start out with something like walk into the kitchen and open the drawer where the bread was and open the like, you weren't going to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, so with this explicit part, you have to be very clear because the AI doesn't have a context. Um, it, it has all the knowledge in the world pretty much available to it. And so without any sort of context, the way that it, the direction it's gonna go is, is crazy. Um, so the role helps with that context, but also it helps to be very, very clear. So for example, if we were um, looking for some quiz questions. We might say, write five questions about the main theme of green eggs and ham, use various question types and levels of Bloom's taxonomy, and provide answers at the end. So those give me all, you kind of have to think of, you have to think of the parameters first. Um, And now you can go back and say, oh, I really should have told them uh, that I wanted to use Bloom's taxonomy in the quiz questions. So you can go back in the next step and add that to it, but it's just going to be quicker if you think of it ahead of time. 
So it's possible with these assistants to give these in um, in a linear fashion. So you can sentence, 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 just keep adding and piling on, and then you hit go for it, uh, and they take all that and put it together. You don't have to wait for them to respond and then refine it, although you could probably do that too, right? Um, yeah, I think it actually works better if you put it all together into one. Um, mm -hmm. But again, it depends on which tool you're using. So ChatGPT is a little bit better at the like maintaining that context um, within multiple inquiries. Um, if you're using Bard, that does that. In my experience, that does less of a good job um, with the with the multiple like building that context within the within the chat. So okay. um, the more you can think about these things through at first with that first prompt, um, the the better your initial results are going to be. Okay. Or perhaps take like if your first prompt wasn't quite right, copying it, pasting it and adding to it. Um, mm -hmm. If you have like the paid version of ChatGPT or like you've logged in or something, it'll do sometimes a better job of following along. But yeah, the, the more specific you can get from the beginning. Okay. The, the better you are or explicit. Sorry. That's, that's the right word. <laughs> yep. And then there's a P which stands for parameters, set the parameters of the answer. Can you tell us what that means exactly? Yeah. So your, your answer is going to, again, we're, we're looking at such a huge body of knowledge and so many different directions that uh, the AI could take it, that the, the more specific it can be the better. So you might, um, if you're asking it to write a letter to parents, you might tell it that you want to be firm but friendly. Um, if you are writing an email, you might say, please keep this under five sentences because no one reads beyond five sentences. Uh, if you're doing a, a classroom text example that uh, you want your students to be working with, you might give it a, a reading level so that it doesn't write a college level uh, example for your second graders. Uh, so word count, reading levels, tone, those are all um, those are all good ways to kind of take those parameters and bring it in even further. Definitely a skill worth practicing and maybe even just the examples you've given. Just sit down and spend some time with it and type in some of these things. I did that um, on our last episode. I had a prompt for a, a Lego minifigure image. And I think it was probably about the sixth round <laughs> before I got an image that I really wanted to use. So it did take some time and I you know, I had a starting point and an example to go by, which is really great. Um, but then I needed to customize it to my own needs and stuff. So you finally got something out of the machine. You did all your prep. You went through the steps. All those things checked off. Um, do you go to press with that right away? Are we done or what's next? Yeah, and I think that's where the second part of the framework comes in. Uh, you know, you start with the prep, and that's going to be that's like your initial your initial piece of it. But then when you get into the edit part, that's really refining the output that comes out. So very very infrequently will you get the results you're looking for in the first try. Um, you continue that process and iterate, and it evolves as you go. Uh, and then based on that, like that's how you get to the outcomes that you're looking for. Um, 
Uh, so the edit part of that is evaluate, determine, identify, and transform. And really the only, like the only part of this is um, like that goes into the machine is that transform. So really like we're, here's where the information literacy piece of it. So when we're evaluating it, we're looking for things like what does that content look like or how does it sound or is it accurate? All of those kinds of pieces um, because it's very, uh, it's it's very common for uh, these for these generative AI tools to make a mistake. Um, you know, they they could be pulling from old information, or it could be something like grabbed out of context or provided out of context that you were not intending. And you have to you have to evaluate and make sure that it's saying the things that you want it to say, uh, and that it's true. So. You know, and that kind of feeds into some of the some of the arguments that I hear about artificial intelligence is as well. You know, if kids can just tell it to do something, then it's like they, they it's making things easy. And uh, you know, the counterpoint that I have to that is like, well, it's making that generation easier, but it's actually getting to a lot more critical thinking that goes into uh, a lot of these tools because you you really have to very carefully evaluate the the information that you're receiving, both for appropriateness to the context, but then also just for accuracy and bias and all of those kinds of things right. because um, because of the way that these things work and the tools that the way that the the, that they're trained. Um, yep. We talked about AI hallucinations that, so. in a previous mm -hmm. episode. So how to how to determine whether that it, it's real or not? And this is right. this is actually very where it diverges a little bit from your typical investigative approach to a Google search, where you're usually getting a result and you can evaluate that one result pretty easily. You know, you can look at the source and do the, your forensic work there, determine. You know, how viable this is and it can, and you can verify it with other resources with ai you don't always have that clear one-to-one -one, this is where it came from this is how it came to this conclusion so how do you get there how do you know where all these re what what resources came to bear and how do you how do you validate that well and i think martin that's that's kind of where that's where maybe some of that that T part comes in, right? So you know when you when you build your prompt, it's going to give you a bunch of information, and maybe another part of those parameters that you put in there are provide references and citations for mm. where this information came from, mm -hmm. um, and and you know and you can even tell it to put it in MLA format or APA format. We love APA, so <laughs> um, so you know so those kinds of things. Um, it's just a, a, again like when you're as you're identifying these things and having those questions, you can continue to refine that output um, so that uh, so that the the tool provides you with the information that you're looking for. But it's not just going to do that right out of the gate, right? So that's why the second half of this framework is just as important as the front half, um, because you're, it's going to take some refinement and multiple attempts uh, before you finally get that, that end result that you're looking for. Yeah, because these results could be from anywhere. They could be editorial articles, you know, um, made up pieces, fiction, um, all kinds of things could go into the results that you're getting. Yep. Well, and, and interestingly, if you add, and stop me if I've told this story before, uh, but if you ask it to give those citations, the citations it gives are not necessarily actual citations. Um it, it can lie about that too. I saw a post on Reddit a couple months back for a professor um, 
who was re reading something that was, she was pretty sure it was generated by AI and was looking through the, um, the citations page and said, oh, well, I, I've read a bunch of stuff by whoever the like top researcher was or something and said, well, this really sounds like an article this person would have written, but I don't remember it. And then went and looked up and sure enough, that article, although very exceedingly plausible to have been written by that particular researcher, um, was not. So that, wow. you know, that, that puts a little bit more maybe on the professors to know their stuff and to know um, if the, the citations you're getting are legit articles, but also that that can make it a whole lot easier when you're wondering, did a student write this or not? You look at those citations and just, are they actual articles that have been written by an actual person? Um, so that, that, that helps, I think, a little bit uh, make at least professors feel a little bit better. Not a ton, but a little bit. Well, and I think too, like, um... That's really, that's really fascinating that something like that would happen, right? Um, but like, I think, I think again, like fitting this into this framework, I put that, I would put that, that onus of responsibility on the, the person who's putting the prompt together, like yeah. that even more, like that really just emphasizes the importance of like these can be tools to help us get to somewhere, but ultimately we've got to do the thinking. Like we have to do the, we have to um, like make those connections and, you know, like really, really drill down on like, how is this, like, is this actual information? Is this factual? Where can I find that? And it again, it just adds, I think it adds depth to, um, the, the way that we go about some of this, um, some of this learning and, and just evaluation. And again, really super, like cannot overemphasize the importance of information literacy when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like how do you verify that things are true and factual and coming from the actual source that they, uh, that they are, are, are advertised from, right? Um, so that's, I think, going to be like that's the new literacy. That's really, that's really where, um, where, where people who are going to be successful are the ones who can do that kind of thing and do that quickly and and easily. One way that the the book may, uh, looks at this is through like what kind of questions can you ask about the the output that you've gotten back and uh, teaching our students okay you've got to read this and then you need to look for statements that are factual where has the AI said something that is fact and then we need to go and check is that actually fact and what a great skill for our students I mean we. I know I taught kids to, you've got a Google search, you got to make sure that's actually fact. Well, okay, you look to see if it's a legit website. Is, little, is it a legit website? Okay, it's probably fact. Um, but this, not only do they have to look for the statements that are fact, then they also have to go research, is it fact? And how are we determining that it's fact? Um, I, and I think that information literacy is just so vital uh, for the future of society in general yeah it's uh, not it's, taking uh, it too far yeah exactly it's a transferable 
skill, not just to dealing with NAI, but anything you see on the news or Facebook or any other information source that you want to use the information to inform a decision, an opinion, a direction, um, all those are big deals as you uh, become an adult and those decisions have consequences. So, yep, for sure. Yeah. I'm relating this, like you said, kind of bigger than the education discussion or using the prompt to results I'm getting from Google and BARD, where now I'm getting more of a paragraph explaining things. And there are citations, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and links to the sources that they used and stuff. So there's a shift happening even in our searching where it's, um, it's showing us those results and where it got those results from. Yeah, it's usually right up at the top now. Mm-hmm. You have a pretty, exactly. uh, you know, a fairly findable search. It's going to give you its, its own view, you know, kind of in a natural there. language way versus just uh, 10 links on a page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Helpful. Rachel, you were and, nice enough to share with us a, a presentation you did on this topic. Um, so besides our acronym imagery that I'm sure will be a good guide for people, we have a prompt engineering presentation to share in the show notes as well. Thank you we did that. note a couple of tools. We've talked about ChatGPT. We've talked about BARD. There's a couple others that came up in our conversation and a couple mentioned here. We want to go over those quick before we uh, go on to other things here. Yeah, Jason. Think- was one that I think, Jason, you brought up. Yep. Yeah. Tell so, us a little bit about uh, that. Yeah, Quad is uh, another one of these generative AI tools. Um, the thing that sets it apart, oh, there are a couple of things. So they have um, they have a, a few things that are built into their model that they used for, uh, for training their AI, uh, that it actively seeks and eliminates things that could be false or misleading. Um, and then they have what they call constitutional AI. So, um, it's, you know, they're, they're, they have these guiding principles that are going to say, um, like how they're, how they're guiding their, um, their outputs. Um, so like that part of it was, I thought interesting. And that was what initially caught my eye. Um, but the thing that kept me like, kept me coming back is, uh, this is the only generative AI tool that I'm aware of, uh, that allows you to upload a file. And then it will use that in part of um, generating its output. So just to test it out and see how well it worked, um, I took the I took the meeting minutes from one of our from one of our Oshkosh area school district uh, school board meetings. Um, our board packets are about 150 pages long, uh, and you know, like there's various graphics and reports and things like that. Um, and I just said, you know, here's a here's take this document and provide me with a summary of all of the key points for any of the reports, as well as uh, action items and results of the of the meeting uh, for that that we expected. And uh, it gave me a really good bulleted list that summarized everything. And it was a meeting that I was at. Uh, so I knew so I mm-hmm. knew what the what the things were. Um, and I thought it did a, just a really lovely job. So um, uh, quad a uh, quad dot AI uh, to me is one of those one of those tools like for um, anytime you have a file input uh, that is something that you want to work off of it does a really good job of analyzing that now what I did not do and I won't do is um, I didn't upload like a, a spreadsheet um, with like you know student data or something like that I could see how a tool like this could be very useful for those kinds of things. Um, but I'm I'm really cautious about 
uh, the the information that I feed into a lot of these tools, um, just because we like we know like that's how they they it, the data that we put into that goes into that we call it a yep. data lake, right? Um, so I wanna I need to be very cognizant of the uh, the stewardship that I have of the yep. of the information that's that I put in there. Um, but if it's something that just anybody can get at, like a board meeting packet, um, that was you know that was a a, a worthwhile exercise. So um, Claude yeah. is what I, I was, was going to bring that up. The privacy piece of that I was just looking at Bards. So I was using that earlier today, and they're very clear on their homepage when you enter a prompt that they're going to use past conversations and your location to generate responses. And they say, we review your feedback and use it to help make BARD safer. We also use it to help reduce common problems with large language models. So they're they're actively using what you feed it. So they're, yep. if you have something that you don't want to be public, um, don't put it in there. Right. And and I would additionally say um, if you if you're like a Google a Google for education so if you're using Workspace for education um, it says it says in the terms for Bard that they are also using um, they'll also use things from your Gmail they'll use Docs um, all of that stuff can be used to train their model uh, so mm -hmm. our guidance that we've been giving is um, not to like we won't turn Bard on for our domain accounts specifically for that reason. Um, Cause we don't want that. We don't want that information to go out and get and used uh, to, to train this. Um, but mm -hmm. if you're using a personal account, that's, you know, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, we just can't do that with our school accounts. It's good advice. Um, Jason, just a quick question. Is Claude free to use? So it's like like any one of these. Uh, there's a there, there's a freemium model, mm -hmm. right? So they give you um, for free. You get a certain amount of they call them tokens per month, and depending on the size, like that one inquiry that I ran with my board meeting packet and the question that I put, like that used up my free tokens for the month. Um, so I couldn't, so I was, I was done using Claude unless I wanted to pay for it after that. Um, and then everything beyond that, they, um, like, I don't know, it's like, it's like $5 per 2 million tokens or something like that. So, um, so they pay, it's a pay per use kind of a deal. Okay. Right. Uh, there was well, one other that was in the text of our chapters here called Quillbot, which was, I was not familiar with, but that sounds and looks, I've not used it, but it actually looks uh, fairly useful. They've got a grammar, a paraphraser, which I had not uh, seen before, but that's kind of built in like with Grammarly, that kind of thing. Grammar checker, plagiar plagiarism checker, summarizer, uh, citation generator, translator even. So lots of different uses. And this is an actual plugin. Uh, it looks like they've got it for Chrome, for Word, even for uh, an app for the Mac too. So it's interesting. I could see I it think becoming popular. All these different these different tools and extensions are another reason that we need to teach people to read the terms of service, no matter mm -hmm. how long and annoying they are, <laughs> um, because they're so easy to install. They're free. They're you know there's it's a piece of cake to just put information in there and see what you get back. But once you put it in there, you can't get it back. Um, that information yeah. is that there for however the AI wants to use it. So um, this is, I think we need a huge push for 
educating people on those terms of service and what yeah. is going to happen with your data. I would be curious to write, if we could write a prompt to ask the AI how, how concerned we should be about our privacy if we use if we use their service <laughs> and Interesting. Um, read I, your terms pretty, of service and you know why would why would what would what would raise a concern for you if I were if you were me Martin I'm pretty sure that our robot overlords will just pat us on the yeah. head and say no it'll be fine <laughs> it's all fine <laughs> <That's right. laughs> what about they the concept the data, of it's okay of uh, you know an AI under in a walled garden kind of thing. So you so take something trustworthy. Yeah. So so that's actually the next step, Sally. Um, that uh, that that a lot of these um, a lot of these these services are now doing is like so like Chat GPT. You can um, you can purchase. It's not really purchasing. Um, you're renting, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. like uh, like a access basically to their algorithm and then you train that algorithm on your data and it's in a walled garden um so google's got something like that going amazon is starting um is, is spinning up some of that stuff um, because the amount of compute power that you need for these is just it's outlandish like you wouldn't be able to do something um nice. just locally but um that's the that's the next that's the next thing uh that i think we're going to start seeing is like um corporations and businesses like leveraging leveraging AI in in that way where they're building their own models and then um, training the algorithm on their on their own data. Um, that's something that we're actually starting to work on in in Oshkosh, um, just doing some of that like exploratory work with that because um, I think it's going to be accessible in time. Um, mm -hmm. to, to be able to do that. Uh, it's just, you know, kind of like Moore's law, right? Uh, just as computing power gets less and less expensive, becomes more and more accessible to the masses. So, but yeah, that, that whole concept of a walled garden and trained on your own data is like, that's, that's where things are going next. Yeah. Interesting. I'm just picturing us as like German peasants and waiting for the, you know, the printing press to arrive and mm. wow. Yeah been playing with a, a Lutheran um, or a confessional language model that a, well, a, a Wells data scientist is kind of playing with and putting together. Not ready for prime time yet, but he's feeding it, you know, the Lutheran confessions, Luther's works, you know, all kinds of other apologetical writings. And it's actually pretty good. You can ask That's some awesome. deep theological questions. And because you know what data went in, you have a high degree of confidence in, in what you're going to get out. Uh, it can be a little stiff sometimes, but ultimately, uh, I think that's a, a real usefulness for this. It's not just a, a souped-up Google search. It's uh, very specific to a, a business need or an organizational need or a theological need that you might have. So I'm excited to see where this goes. I think we could keep talking forever on this. I know. Topic. What do y'all? We're already forty minutes in here, on. so we should probably <laughs> we should probably move along. So why don't we do that? Um, great conversation, you guys. Appreciate it. Uh, ministry resources. Speaking of AI, Sally, we've got a Church Tech Today um, kind of a uh, section that Church Tech Today, one of the websites that I frequent fairly often to see what's going on with church technology. They have a whole section entitled Artificial Intelligence, where they collect blog posts from over you know the past you know weeks or months or years about AI. And some of them are actually very intriguing if you're interested in learning a little bit more about how this applies 
in a church setting, you know, talking about ethics or church graphics or image generation, um, uh, sermon repurposing. I read that one just the other day. You know, what are you know, asking an AI to take a look at a sermon and give you uh, different ways that you can reuse that, uh, whether it be a summary or a Q&A or a a blog post or whatever it is, those kinds of things I think make a lot of sense for to you know, to point an AI at and see what uh, kind of ideas it can spark for you. So we'll put a link to that ministry resource there in the show notes. But that's a, an AI section in our Church Tech Today and a Church Tech Tech Today website. So well, I think it's yeah. time for our picks of the week. And uh, Rachel, you're up first. Tell us what you got. All right. So I have got magicschool.ai. And this one is specifically made for teachers. Um, it is just got a ton of different tools that are specific to a teacher, not, not for kids to use, for teachers to use. Um, and You've got things like a multiple choice assessment. You can make uh, generate report card comments. That was one of my least favorite things to do, um, especially when you've got a classroom full of just kids who are fine. Like, mm -hmm. how many different ways can you say "good job" in first grade? Um, <laughs> so you can have the AI do that for you. Uh, we've got rubric generators, math story problems. Um, text translators, choice boards, just tons and tons and tons of very specific, um, yeah. cool. very specific tools. I for song generator in there. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, cool. you never know when you're going to need a song. Um, one thing that I've had some teachers try because it's way out of my wheelhouse is the coach sport coaches sports practice uh, because when I was a grade school teacher, our uh, athletic director said I was not allowed to coach sports. Um, <laughs> I agreed with him, but <laughs> I've had a couple of coaches try that out. And they said, yeah, sure enough, this makes a great practice plan and saves a ton of time. So there are just very specific um, tools here. And I think it's you know important to note that ChatGPT or, you know, Google Bard or any of those tools can do things very, very similar to this. Um, but what something like Magic School uh, does is it takes the body of knowledge and kind of does some of those um, craft prompting steps for you. So it's already got the context or it's it's already got the role. Um, those are already just kind of built in. So it automatically takes your huge uh, possibilities of output and narrows it down. So um, you can do the same things in a different tool, but this will just help really streamline that for you. Nice. What I like Pricing. about this, Rachel, is it kind of opens up your eyes to the possibilities of AI, mm -hmm. things that you didn't know or didn't think of that it that it could do. So you've got kind of a nice menu here, all kinds of different mm -hmm. concepts and areas and you know, fun to play with and figure out where, where AI can help you out. You even have a gift suggestion one <laughs> if you need to give gifts to people 
What I find entertaining is that um, this list is currently, I sorted it based on the popularity and gift suggestion is second la- second to the last. <laughs> um, SAT reading questions, that one's last. Okay. So apparently gifts are more important than SAT reading questions. <laughs> and cost for the resource here, Rachel? Uh, this one is another freemium one. Um, okay. You get, and right now they're offering, I think, almost a month free of the pro version. So you can try it out and see uh, if you like it. But then after that, you, I don't know what exactly the cost is, but it's similar to other tools out there. Okay. Great. Good one. Thank you. Jason, what do you got? Looks yeah. Like you have something similar. So- Yes, I do. Um, with a little bit of a different tech to it. So uh, my pick this this month is uh, called SchoolAI.com. Um, so where uh, where Magic School is a teacher tool, this is designed to put uh, the power of a chatbot in the hands of a student. So um, the what drew me to School AI is that uh, it is SIPA and COPA compliant, and that's a that's a a prerequisite for anything in our organization for students to be able to use. So um, they can, like, according to the terms of service with like ChatGPT and Bard, um, if they create a personal account and they are 13 years of age or older and they have parental permission, then they can use those tools. Um, but that's kind of like, from from my perspective, that's kind of like, um, just like, Putting them, putting them into the like the middle of a lake in a in a canoe and say figure it out and not giving them any paddles or anything like that. Um, what uh, what School AI does is it allows teachers to set up an environment where students can interact with these chatbots in a very confined area. So, for example, um, if you Sally, if you click on uh, where it says spaces up at the top, sure. Um, these are these are those student uh, those student activities that are powered by AI. So, like for example, um, I was just I was just testing this out, and um, I'm believe it or not, I'm kind of a, I'm I'm a big fan of the book 1984. Like mm-hmm. I just I just really I really enjoy it. I've read it a couple of times, and um, you know it's dystopian and all of that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. there's still some good stuff going on there, right? Um, so with this, uh, if you just click on chat now, um, this will basically um, set up a chat session with the other user um, where you can um, where you can interact with the chatbot and respond to some of these questions. So you know, like, what's your what's your? And this is, uh, by the way, I've I've pulled this up five different times, and the prompt, the question has been different every single time. Um, so it's not even just pulling from a list of possible questions, but what it does is it takes a look at the themes of the book and then um, and then provides like asks questions based on that. And then depending on um, like the, the response that you give, it will either help dig deeper. So like if you just type in, I don't know, um, or or something like that, uh, it'll it'll give you a response to explain a little bit more um, kind of you know, how, like, get you to think about these things. So, um, 
so you see, you know, that's quite overwhelming, right? <laughs> so, uh, so it, you know, so it just, and it just continues to kind of make those a little bit simpler, um, you know, get further input and things like that. Um, and teachers can custom design these. So, you know, if you wanted to focus in on a particular concept, let's say cell mitosis, um, you know, you can, you can use this uh, to, for students as like a, as one of those formative activities, or maybe this would even be like a, instead of doing a test, we're going to have interaction with a chat bot and you have to give a response to these different questions that go back and forth. You know, we're going to spend 20 minutes in this activity. And then on the back end, as a teacher, you get sentiment analysis and all of these kinds of things. So you can tell based on the, the responses that students are giving, how well do they understand the content and then put them into groups, you you know, based on, you know, what kids need, all of that kind of stuff. So it really is a powerful differentiation tool um, that, uh, that you can, um, that you can use. And then again, leveraging this technology um, as, as a tool for personalization, right? Um, it also has a lot of those same kinds of tools that you would see in magic school, um, but not, I mean, not nearly A as many, uh, or B in like as functional of a, of a way. I kind of look at school uh, at magic school as like, that's like an elementary middle school kind of a tool. Um, but with the interface and the way that this is set up, I would say this is probably upper elementary and high school uh, mm -hmm. would probably benefit more from school AI. So, mm -hmm. um, so lots of really good possibilities and, and cool tools that you can use with uh, schoolai.com. Yeah, they make it accessible too. Books. You can speak, uh, you can have it speak to you, and I, yep. I assume you can and speak I, to it too. Yep, and I, it's got like 10 or 15 languages that it can be translated into, okay. uh, and it understands both input and output that way. So I could speak to it in Spanish, and it will recognize the Spanish that I'm speaking uh, and have that interaction. Interesting. Well. Rachel, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, you're okay. Um, if you look at some of the book guides that it has, like the 1984 one, it has books that are also for younger kids too. Mm -hmm. So I think it'd be, and especially with the being able to speak to it and have it speak to you, kind of a, a just a fun kind of intro activity for um, AI and your students, because there are books that even my first and second graders would have read. Yeah. I also appreciated in talking to Abraham Lincoln that if you gave snarky answers, surprise, I did, um, it told you, oh, that's really funny, and then redirected me. <laughs> and what would so your grandpa So it at least acknowledged that I was that. funny. I thought snarky <laughs> answers, that was Jason's job. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have nothing else to say, Martin. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> 1984, totally off topic. That that's one of those books <laughs> that I couldn't wait to get done with, but I couldn't stop. You know, in in the middle, I was uh, so yes. depressed reading that book, but I kept mm -hmm. reading it just just because it's a great piece of literature. But it's one of those yep. dark, you know, oh, I don't want to be in this place kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. For me, it's same with in Animal the Farm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't catch her. Catch her in the rye. It's my. That's my. Like if I if I'm happy and I want to be not happy, I'll just start reading Catch <laughs> her in the Rye. That's your go-to. Yeah, to bring you down. Camper. Okay, <laughs> bring you down. <laughs> All right, Sally, uh, go for it. My turn, and um, I'm gonna replay a pick of the week, probably one that I've even maybe shared. A second time before so this is my go-to favorite keyboard 
It's a Logitech, and the current generation is called a Pebble Keys 2 Slim TKL Wireless Scissor Keyboard. Got all that? It works for Windows, Mac, iPad, and Chromebooks. And I have used it, I, I honestly believe, at least five years and probably longer than that. So um, this is a keyboard you can pick up at Best Buy or on Amazon or whatever. Current price is 40 bucks. And you can tell that it's pretty small. Um, it has kind of the chiclet keys. Actually, they call them pebble keys now. But I, I think they're about the size of a chiclet and have a nice, you know, ringing to them when you type. I like the feel of it. Um, the thing that I like about the consistency of using the same keyboard for five plus years is my fingers just fit it. And it. I, I just, I never touch the laptop keyboard. I never, when I go to other places, I bring my little keyboard along and set my laptop up in front of me and people think I'm really strange, but it is, um, it's the one for me. Small, lightweight, doesn't have a side um, number pad. It just has the numbers along the top, um, but it does allow you to switch between three different devices. So you can use this one keyboard and just, um, pick a function key and switch to your tablet or whatever you desire. Um, I actually have two of them because I have a computer downstairs and a computer upstairs at my house. So, um, but in the past I've used it and switched between when both my computers were in the same place. So um, for me, it's, it's a keyboard of choice and it stood the test of time. So I thought it was worth repeating here at the beginning of 2024. That's Very it for cool. me. Yeah, you're becoming our hardware expert, Sally. Oh, such a hardware person, <laughs> right? I had to, uh, I had to laugh. I had to, I looked up chiclets. Uh, Google Bard, you know, gave me a nice explanation of their history. Back in 1899, they've been around that long. So how about that? Probably Almost couldn't as use long that as term. Keyboard. They probably couldn't use that term anymore because you'd have to pay royalties or something. But <laughs> California Fruit Chewing Company back in 1899. From the natural tree sap chickle. Good so, thing we have there, AI. There you here. go. Yep. Good thing. All right. Martin, my did pick you of the week. That? <laughs> yeah, I, I did not. <laughs> I have not gotten to the edit part of our uh, of our conversation. Um, my pick of the week. I'm very excited about. Uh, it's something I'm just beginning to uh, get comfortable with. It's a tool, a service called Mail Track. Um, MailTrack is an extension, a service and a, and a Chrome extension that works with Gmail. It works with Outlook. Basically, it tracks if somebody opens or how they interact with the emails that you send. Um, and I was a little suspicious at how this would work because a lot of email clients, I thought, you know, prevented this thing from working. How can this d dive into somebody's email? And it almost sounds a little... Uh, uh, not what you want to be doing, but it's, but it's totally, it's totally <laughs> legit. Um, there are other services like this too, but the reason I was interested in it is I recently, uh, uh was elected congregation president at the congregation I'm at now, and they use email so heavily, uh, working with church council, with, with the staff at the school and the church and, I just go nuts, you know, wondering, and this is maybe my my nature, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever it is, uh, that email is so, um, you, you wonder whether people actually open these emails and you're, you want to have email be this 
good communication tool, which we all know it's not that great, but there's some kind of comfort that I get knowing that at least somebody, maybe they haven't answered it, but I know they've opened it. And part of the challenge is, you know, everybody's got two, three, four emails now, and you never know which one to use. And this really helps that too. So I can kind of zero in on something and I know that they opened it. You can also uh, have it track documents or links. So you can create uh, these documents that they can uh, click on and you know that they opened them, even how long they had them open, if they read them, that kind of thing, PDFs. Um, track links. Uh, you can have it set reminders so that if they haven't opened it, it can come back into your inbox and say, hey, they haven't opened this in 72 hours. Maybe you want to follow up. Um, there are There's a signature request uh, uh, tool. There's a mail merge tool. There's campaigns. So this is kind of meant for a salesperson, but I think anybody who's interested in making sure communication is happening uh, I think this is a, is a good tool. It is not free. There is, I think, a free trial. Um, so I think it's like 120 bucks a year. So I decided I'm going to try this for a year, see if it works. And so far, so good. It's really uh, helped me um, get a nice level of comfort with communicating primarily over uh, over email. So there's different versions of it. And I think there's even one for non profit, I want to say. I'd have to go back and look at their plans, but uh, it works nicely with Gmail and Outlook. It gives you a little checkbox uh, that it's tracking it and then a double check when somebody has opened it. Um, so I'm going to probably write up a nice longer blog post once I get a little bit more experience with it, but I've I've got enough of a taste of it now to know that yeah, this is something that's super helpful in, in any kind of communication strategy. So... And the real question is, will you will it stand the test of time? Will this be a pick for you in twenty? Right, since it's early in the year, will it will it come back uh, on the list at the end of December? Here, yeah. There you go. So, that's my pick of the week. All right, let's move on to our community news and feedback. Yep, just one thing to share this week, um, and that is from our friends at Blueprint Schools. Um, this would be Dana Kirkhoff and company that uh, we've had on the pad podcast in the past, and they've actually created training um, for chat GPT for teachers. Um, and it's, you know, geared towards entire faculties if you want to buy that many seats or whatever mm -hmm. it is. So um, they have this offering currently. They have a an early bird pricing associated with it, and they'll even send you information about it. If you're not sure if it's for you or not, you can get their information packet um, and learn more about it before you actually dive in and purchase it. So if you're looking for some training, this may be one place you want to check out. And they've even got a podcast episode that you can listen to about um, their efforts at putting this training together. So chat nice. GPT for teachers from Blueprint Schools. Very timely. Thank you, Sally, mm -hmm. for sharing that. Uh, we're going to do this again in a couple of weeks, and I think we're going to have uh, an interview. We are. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, last week, I participated in a women's ministry webinar. Um, I think it was last Thursday night. It was about using hospitality, uh, one of your one of the gifts that many people have, and how uh, that can be used to to reach others and um, forge friendships and share your faith. So, um, thought it was really well done. And we're going to focus with Rachel. Uh, Halderson, who was the moderator for that webinar, we're just going to focus on 
why they're doing webinars and what they're learning as they're doing them and how it's all working for uh, the women's ministry team because they've done several of these. So just learning more about that format and their experience with it. Yeah. Very good. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up. This is one of our longer little chats, but I think it was uh, time well spent. Hopefully our listeners would agree with that. Uh, thanks so much, Jason and Rachel, for your time. You bring a lot to the show and uh, really appreciate you uh, doing this for free. Uh, you know, full disclosure, we don't, we pay them nothing. Um, but we get a lot more than nothing from them. So we thank you so much. We did the brain drain on them. And- yeah, we did. Yeah, we get, we, we get paid in gratitude and um, and recognition. <laughs> well, just, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. You put this on your resume. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks, you guys. And thanks to our listeners. We really appreciate you deciding that this is worthwhile of your time. Please share this with somebody you know, and uh, let's grow the uh, the listening audience and grow the conversation. Oh, we should mention before we go quick, uh, wellstech.wells.net is a place to go for all the show notes, all the links we talked about, ways to give, give feedback, that kind of stuff. So go there, read that, and then tune in next time. Thanks, everybody.